From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, March 28th. The Bureau of Land Management wants more feedback on a proposal to restrict camping near Moab. The area in question is a popular dispersed camping spot near Labyrinth Rims and Gemini Bridges, just north of town. KZMU's Emily Arnson reports. Every year, thousands of people camp on the parcel of public lands west of Arches and north of Island in the Sky. Camping in this area is free and there are no marked sites. But in recent years, the BLM has started to see greater environmental impacts in this area with an increase in visitors. Improper disposal of human waste and excessive wood harvesting for firewood are two of the main concerns. If it passes, the proposal wouldn't immediately change camping rules in the area, but it would begin the process of designating specific campgrounds in the future. Rachel Wooten of the BLM. This is a first step in identifying the camping sites and and designating camping. In the future, it would kind of change requirements for where people can camp, basically, and, and would limit options to sites that were designated sites. The BLM has no plans to make this a paid campground in the future. The biggest change would be that people would have to only camp in designated spots. Plus, the BLM would prohibit campers from collecting firewood in this area and require that all campers use a fire pan and a portable toilet to pack out waste. This second comment period is being held because the public requested more information about where designated sites would be. An updated map can be found on the BLM's website. Dispersed camping works best when there's a lot of room for people, right? And so in areas that have high visitation, there can be impacts both to the resources and to visitors' experiences. In Moab, the challenges with high visitation, how do we continue to preserve the area and preserve the resources that make this place special and a great place to visit and allow people to have a good time when they're here? The public comment period ends on April 21st. You can submit a comment through the BLM's website, and you can find that link in today's show notes. For KZMU, I'm Emily Arnson. Public submissions are open for a queer abolitionist book about the Great Salt Lake. Max McDermott, with our partners at UPR, has more. Lake Words is a small, self-published book by writer, poet, and Salt Lake City resident Milo in collaboration with co-author Lucy Allen. Self-termed a queer abolitionist love letter to the lake, the book contains bite-sized discourse on the existential threat Great Salt Lake faces. Milo says the book was composed on Antelope Island during a vigil for the lake held by the river riding community. The vigil lasted 47 days, the entire length of the Utah legislative session. I was out there by myself for eight days and nights and did a lot of writing um, and just filled a whole notebook, basically. It was a lot of, honestly, just like angry ranting is what it felt like. Milo and Alan entered the book into the Queer Spectra Arts Festival and later made more copies for friends. Milo says the book offered a different perspective on the lake, one not always featured in the mainstream media that their friends resonated with. Not initially intending to mass-produce the book, Milo says since its inception, hundreds of copies have been distributed. Now, Alan and Milo are looking to make Lake Words Volume 2 even more collaborative. Milo says artists can submit short essays, visual art, poetry, visionary fiction, and genre-bending work to lakewords.com by April 1st. 
They say they hope this project will bring people together around the lake. We really hope to bring forward voices that aren't being heard and bring narratives from the people and from the community. And we want to open the door to grief and rage and love and everything in between because it's all there and we don't we don't see it often enough. And so we wanted to make a place for people to put it. Milo says 25% of the proceeds from the book will be donated to Wuda Ogwa, formerly known as Boa Ogai Cultural Interpretive Center, whose mission is to educate visitors on the history of the Northwestern Band of the Shoshone Nation. I'm Max McDermott. It's hard to say what happens to our souls after we die, but it's a little more straightforward to know what happens to our bodies. Some people now have a new option that's seen as more environmentally friendly. KUNC's Alex Hager reports on one Colorado funeral home offering a technology that uses water instead of fire. Carlotta Striffler isn't scared to talk about death, even her own. I think what I would have really liked if it had been years ago, it would have been to be taken up on a mountaintop and put on top of of a platform and just kind of go back to the elements that way. But they don't let you do that anymore. (laughs) When she was a kid, Striffler's dad was a minister, so she spent a lot of time around funerals. Now that she's 73, she says that makes it easier to talk about what should happen after she's gone. I'm a Virgo, and so I like to plan things. And I feel much less anxious about dying eventually, knowing that I have this in place. By this, Striffler means plans for a new form of cremation. We're standing in front of the machine that will carry out a process called alkaline hydrolysis, breaking down the body using mostly water. Chris Goes is the owner and director of Goes Funeral Home in Fort Collins, Colorado. Space age has been brought up from people who have witnessed this. Uh, The the equipment looks rather uh, uh, futuristic. It's a giant metal cylinder, a shiny silver tube about the length of a small car and standing taller than everyone in the room. It's topped with valves and gauges and pipes. Everything that you would expect to see on a trip to Mars. Goes and another funeral director open the machine, unsealing a circular metal door that looks like the outside of a bank vault. I'll pull on three. Ready? One, two, three. Inside, there's a metal cage where overhead sprinklers rain down over the person's body and a chemical called potassium hydroxide. Then it's tipped to an angle. So there's water filling in in the lower end as it's up, and then just bathes the person, and reduces our body to our bones. That process could take anywhere from 3 to 14 hours. Ren Sherling, the other funeral director, likens the process to a more familiar appliance. It's really no louder than a dishwasher at home, and it's so, so, so quiet. And after it's done, the funeral home gives families two things. A little glass jar of water from the process. Some people use it to water a garden or a tree. And once the bones are dried out and processed, ashy remains, similar to the kind you'd get from traditional flame cremation. That was appealing to Lee Christian, who chose water cremation for his father, Ed, who died at 90 earlier this year. So we received a few keepsake amounts, but... Of uh, cremated remains. Of cremated remains, and then... 
We have my father's park ranger hat and his remains are inside. Christian chose it even though it's pricier than flame cremation. At Go's funeral home, the water-based option is $3,200, a thousand more than the old way. It's only in 15 states so far, including Utah, Nevada, and California. And of all cremations in 2021, fewer than 1% were water cremation. But still, Barbara Chemis, head of the Cremation Association of North America, says it's providing a valuable option for people who want it. Perhaps it's more quickly adopted in Colorado because I see Western states, Colorado included, um, being very interested in new forms of disposition and uh, perhaps leading uh, the rest of the country on environmental conscious, you know, death care choices. That's one of the big reasons that Carlotta Striffler chose water cremation. She liked the idea of a machine with fewer emissions into the atmosphere. And water, she said, sounds more soothing than flames. It isn't a frightening-looking piece of equipment to me. And by the time she's ready for it, Striffler says she won't be looking at it anyway. I'm Alex Hager in Fort Collins, Colorado. The Moab City Council is in session on Tuesday. That's today. Let's preview their agenda. City Council members will hear an update on the Community Renewable Energy Program, which provides a pathway to 100% renewable energy for municipalities. All three lawmaking bodies, Moab City, Grand County, and Castle Valley are signed on, and the city's sustainability department will present on the progress of the program. Plus, city council members will consider raising stormwater rates in order to support new construction of stormwater infrastructure. The city's stormwater master plan identified over $8 million in capital project needs. The council will also consider updating the record management system for the Moab Police Department to be compatible with the system used by the Grand County Sheriff's Office. Moab City Council meetings are held on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month at 6 p.m. and streamed online on Moab City's YouTube page. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, March 28th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.